Our scripture today is John 5:19 through 29. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees, sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show, will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, um, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from, life, from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of the Man, Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. Man, if you are joining us for the first time or one of the first times, I just want to let you know, like, we consider it a great honor for you to be here, and you are very welcome to be here, and you don't have to, like, prove yourself. It's not like the new recruits that, like, everybody talks ill of until you kind of, like, prove your worth to be there or whatever. Um, like, Jesus has proven his love for each of us, and that is why, why we can truly welcome each other. And even the greeting time is not like meant to be torture for introverts. It, it, the greeting time is even meant that we greet each other on level ground. And what God has done for us, we can truly, you know, like maybe there are offices that you don't feel allowed into or, or you know, places where it's like this is just for the elite people or whatever. It's like the, the one that truly matters if we have access to him uh, opens up his arms to all people. And so, so we just want to welcome you, not because of anything other than that's God's heart towards me, God's heart towards each of us, and God's heart towards you as well. So, so he is pursuing each of us, and that's actually why we named the church Sacred Mission Church. When the Sacred Mission's about two years old, and when we were really praying through, like, what should the name of this church be? Um, it should be the Collins Maxwell Baxter Colonesco West Marshall Church, you know, so it's like, that would be a little long to say, a little wordy, hard to get out, you know, but it was, uh, Sacred Mission was, was what really became clear, and it wasn't because we are on a sacred mission, it's because Jesus himself is on a sacred mission for the people of rural central Iowa, and we're just able to be swept up into that. We're just able to follow him, to be a part of it, because it's his mission. He's the one that's calling the shots. He is the great shepherd. He is the lead pastor, and we get the opportunity to join him on that. And uh, he is the one on the move. We are not the ones on the move. Um, and he is the one that's changing us. He is the one that's saving us. He is the one that's transforming our community. He's the one that we're praying to, to transform Baxter and Maxwell and Collins and Colo and to, to give Jesus the worship and the, the just lives that he 
that he earns, that, that he is worthy of. And we get to pray over each other. We get to encourage each other. We get to gather together. We get to sharpen each other and to be formed by God's word together. And that's really what we're doing right now is we open up the word of God not to play church. We open the word of God to hear from him, to be transformed, to lock arms together, and to go. And so for us to open the word of God this morning as we're his people, he's our God doing his purposes in our lives. And we're in the book of John. We've been in the book of John for a long time. We're going to be in the book of John for a long time. And there's nowhere else I want to go because it is just treasure after treasure after treasure. I've gone, even in seminary, we had classes where we had to translate sections of John and stuff. And I open up some of these sections and I'm like, I don't know if I've ever read this before because of how fresh and new it seems to be for us at this time. Jesus, in the book of John, he is breaking stereotypes. People were like, hey, Jesus, I thought you were like this. And man, he is just absolutely breaking stereotypes that people have of Jesus. He is breaking economic stereotypes. He is breaking uh, racial stereotypes in just the purposeful people that he is interacting with. He has gone, we had an incredible focus several weeks ago where Jesus went to the woman at the well who is an outcast of all outcasts. The entire people group were an outcast and they had cast her out. So, so she was the outcast of the outcasts. And, she, and Jesus invites her to follow him. And she loves it. She even tells everybody she knows, come see the one who told me everything I've ever done. And she loves it. They love it. They give their lives to Jesus and then Jesus seeks out a man who for more than three decades is trying to be healed. He's a cripple. For more than three decades, he's tried to be healed. And very recently we went through this. And after Jesus radically heals this man, he joins a conspiracy to try to kill Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine like Jesus healing someone radically in our community, and what they try to do is kill him. Get him out of their lives. Why? Why are they wanting to treat Jesus this way? Because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. How dare he? <laughs> like, how, how dare he heal me from decades of, of hope? But he did it on the wrong day. He did it on the wrong terms from these people's perspective. Jesus, last week Jesus started telling them that God the Father works on the Sabbath. God works on the Sabbath. Like when, when, we, when God gave the, the commandment to keep the Sabbath and to keep it holy, God has to be working on the Sabbath to actually be empowering the world and, and doing the things that God does to hold the world together and to answer prayer and all these things. And what Jesus is saying is God the Father never stops working. I don't stop working. So Jesus is making it crystal clear that Jesus is working because the Father is working. And based on that statement, many of the Jews, God's chosen people from the Old Testament, many of the Jews seriously start plotting to kill Jesus. They're not just like, I don't like that guy. I mean, you got to go to a different place to go from I don't like him and what he's saying to 
he needs to stop existing right now. My world without Jesus, I want to keep that as opposed to my world with Jesus breaking in to my world and changing everything, including healing, healing him from 38 years of being crippled. Jesus, though, is not going to be silenced. And where we're heading is power. Today, man, my prayer is just that the Lord would flood us with his word because he's not being silenced. He can't be silenced. And what he's saying is too important to just turn the volume to zero. What he's saying is way too important to just shut him off, push him away. It's too crucial for the people on the ground. They, they have to see Jesus for who he is. And instead of Jesus backing away, Jesus speaks clearly. He moves forward. And man, my prayer for this this morning is that we would hear him, that we would hear his voice, that we would follow him as he is leading us. Amen. Can I, can I pray that this morning, that that would be true? Lord, I do ask that we would, every word that we're going to hear today is words that you spoke from your own mouth, telling us true truths. Gosh, how, how much we need to not have our own set of facts, how much we need to actually hear true truths from the one who cannot lie. And so, Lord, would, would your word find its home in us, change us, direct our hearts towards you, have your way in this place, keep us from playing at this. Lord, have us have a real interaction with you that makes us walk with a real God um, together in our community. So, uh, Lord, would you illuminate these words to us for your glory, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in verse 19 of John chapter 5. We've got a stack of Bibles on the connect table over here. Uh, you can take one of those and have it as your, as your own. Right next to the stack of Bibles, we have these little paperbacks that are called scripture journals. And it's just the book of John where every other page is blank to take notes and all sorts of stuff. And so we're going to be in the book of John for a while. So even if you haven't gotten one now, feel free to grab one. Or if you want to start doing like a Bible study with people at work or people in the neighborhood, feel free to grab enough for everybody and you can start walking them through the book of John as well. So, and then the, the verses will be on the screens too. So verse 19 of John chapter five starts by saying, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will." So for those that are saying that they follow God the Father, so Jesus is on the ground looking at people who are filled with rage at Jesus, and they're saying, we follow God the Father, and we want to kill you. So for people who are saying they follow God the Father, and they reject the actions of Jesus, Jesus doesn't like, oh, you know, he doesn't like cower. Jesus starts by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, he's going to say truly, truly three times just in this section. 
I don't know of anywhere else where he says it like this. He's like, I am speaking the truth. He says that three times in just this section. Hear me, like, hear what I am about to tell you. It will correct you in a way that you need to be corrected. That's how important this section is. If you reject this section, if you reject the things that Jesus talks about in this section, you are calling Jesus a liar. I mean, that's how he is putting all of his cards out there and saying, I am speaking the truth to you, truly, truly. If you say, ah, that was a a really interesting thought that Jesus had. He took us on a thought experiment, or that was a really interesting suggestion that Jesus had. It's like, no, he is begging us to receive this as the truest thing that, that we will ever hear. And if, if, if you are re- rejecting this, you are rejecting Jesus, you're calling him a liar because he is speaking as clearly as possible. He's saying, I am telling the truth. He says that the son does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. What Jesus is doing is what the father is wanting to be done. He's on the ground saying, I am doing the things that the Father wants to be done. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is himself doing. So rejecting the actions of Jesus is actually rejecting the words of Jesus. It's not just calling Jesus a liar, but it's calling God the Father a liar as well. It's rejecting what God the Father is doing As clearly as we can say it, uh, Jesus is saying, like father, like son. (laughs) He's saying, like father, like son. When they see Jesus seek out the lame man and heal him, they're seeing the heart of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and they're also seeing the heart of the father, the first person of the Trinity. The father is not the son. The son is not the father. They are both fully God. We have one God, and they are both at work. Um, and you might be like, wow, this, is, uh, this seems a little complex. There's one God, and now we have God the Father and God the Son, and we hear of God the Holy Spirit. Like, that seems kind of complex. And there have been times in church history that people have been like, hey, why don't we just, like, kind of edit all that stuff out? Let's make God a lot easier to understand. And, uh, you know, if we take that to the extreme, what if instead of Sacred Mission Church holding to the Trinity, what if we say, you know what, we're just going to change this. Let's make it simple. God is the color blue. Just, that's a lot easier to understand than the Trinity. God is blue. Look at all, I mean, we got a lot of blue around here. Like, this is great. God is blue. Got it. Crystal clear. The reason that that sounds like really weird is because I don't need the color blue to do things that eternally change my life. Like, I need a God way more complex than a color. I need a God that is so complex that he actually makes sense of my world. And he actually, like people, I've, I've heard sayings that not one human being actually can completely understand how a phone works, a modern-day phone. Like, there are people who understand how 
like I can plug it into a wall that if I stick my finger in there, it's going to hurt me, but somehow I plug it in here and it makes this thing just like last longer. Like people who truly understand how electricity works, but they might not understand how it works that you can actually like watch a movie. Like how do things go through the air and it turns into a movie on my phone? Like it's just like I don't understand the science of that. And this thing is complex. And I don't even think that this thing could save me. I don't think that this thing created us. I don't think that this thing made the beautiful things that I see in this world. So I, we, and many scholars have said, we actually need a God that is so complex that it blows our mind. That it's like, I will never fully understand you. And I know you. And you draw near to us. And even a little child can know him and respond to him. And he is so complex that someone with three PhDs will never even get to base camp one in understanding the fullness of God. And so Jesus here is starting to pull back some of the curtain and is saying, when you see me do something, you're seeing the Father pursue you as well. And you're seeing me pursue you. And we are not the same and we are one. And I'm telling you the truth here. If you think your father, you're following the Father and you're seeking to kill me, you are so far from reality. You do not understand what you're doing. The appropriate response here, the appropriate response for humanity is to recognize that God himself is on a mission to save us. Jesus tells us that God is just getting started. And look at this. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel so that you may marvel. That's uh, verse 20. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. We should have our breath taken away. We shouldn't inhale to call him a liar. We should actually gasp because we're seeing him for all that he is. You will see far greater things to marvel at. Verse 21, years before Jesus will actually be killed and will rise from the dead, Jesus brings up the Father, will raise people from the dead, and the Son will raise people from the dead. This is not on people's radar. And he's saying like, hey, you want to marvel at stuff? The Father is going to bring people back from the dead. The Son is going to bring people back from the dead. Like Father, like Son. Jesus then continues to teach the people who have just been having conversations about killing Jesus. He continues to teach them and us by saying in verse 22, look at verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. If you think you're honoring God, if you think you're honoring God the Father, and you're not honoring the Son, you're not honoring the Father. No human should feel like they even have the right to judge the Son. Like, your view of Jesus, our view of Jesus is way too small. If you're like, Jesus says something, you're like, well, I'll be the judge of that. The Father has actually given the right to judge to only one other, to the Son. And all these people around Jesus being like, they're judging Jesus. <laughs> and what Jesus says is, 
Jesus actually judges us. We don't judge him. He judges us. And he is on the ground saying, you guys have this backwards. Like, I know you're judging me, but I need to let you know what reality is. Truly, truly, I'm telling you, I judge you. You don't judge me. You're dishonoring Jesus. You're dishonoring the Father. Jesus didn't come, we've been told. And here's what is incredible. Because the goal, this is not like a browbeating. This is not like a, oh gosh, should we just leave now? You know, what is amazing is what Jesus has already shared with us is he didn't come to condemn the world. So he's like, hey, let me just make sure you guys know the way the relationship works here. I actually am the judge, and I'm the only judge. The Supreme Court will be judged by Jesus. And then Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. I I am the judge, but I'm coming right now to save, not to condemn the world. And we see his heart as he speaks. Look at verse 24. If I am the judge of the world, my first move is going to be like, okay, guys, listen up. I've got my list. And here's my list of just all the things I am just going to rub people's faces in it. Like, that's, like, be grateful I'm not the judge of the world because that was where I would probably go with it. Where Jesus goes with it, being the judge of the world, is he says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes me, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you, if you believe in me, you have eternal life, and you are free. You are free as free can be. It's the truth. Truly, truly, whoever. I love here, he said, look at that. I, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. I've got this incredible book um, at, uh, at my house that's called The Mission to Nuremberg. I've talked to several of you about it. Um, it's fascinating. There was a guy in Kansas City or in Missouri in his 50s who came from a German house and his parents spoke fluent German and, um, and he was a pastor of a small church in Missouri. And he, but he was living during the time of World War II and as World War II was wrapping up, all of the worst of the worst who were leaders of the Third Reich, um, who were still alive, so Hitler wasn't, but like all of the people right below Hitler that were still alive, they all faced trial in Nuremberg. And what this book is, is they actually had this guy and another guy, but they had this guy become the chaplain. So he's this guy in his 50s, they, brought, they took him to Nuremberg and had him be the chaplain to actually minister to everybody before they were executed for their crimes. And he writes about sharing things like this. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he, not, several of the people were so hardened that they said, I will take my chances multiple of the guys that we would look at and be like, the judge of the world will, man, will just, every bit of justice in us wants to just like pound them. And some of them were like, 
Jesus did that for me. And they gave their lives to Jesus. And I believe when, when they were executed, they walked straight in to the hands of Jesus. Nail-scarred hands of Jesus who paid for them. And this is like, it's scandalous. It is full of scandal, that verse. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And, and man, when I, I, when I read, one of the reasons I love that book is reading the way that the pastor shared the gospel to these men and said, it's as true for you as it's true for me. And, and that is the extent of Jesus' death, his power. He is judge, and he's here not to condemn the world, but to save it. And that's the magnitude of his heart towards us. Whoever believes him who sent me has eternal life. He did not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And what I love here is Jesus doesn't even give these people a chance to respond. Like, I think like when I was reading through this, I was like, okay, this would be a good chance for him to pause, hear what people have just thought of what he said. And what I love about Jesus is he, he doesn't need their feedback. He doesn't need their thoughts. What he needs is people to hear what he is saying, to hear his heart towards us. He alone is qualified to speak on such important matters for us all. And he continues speaking. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and it's now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Don't marvel at this. This is the second time he says marvel. Don't have your breath taken away because of this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. When we come to John chapter 11, down the road in our study through the book of John, uh, we're going to see a one-person example of this in verse 25, uh, of verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, will hear Jesus say the word, Lazarus, come out. And this guy who's been dead for three days in a tomb will walk out of that tomb as he hears Jesus' voice. And some people have kind of commented that if Jesus wouldn't have said, Lazarus, come out, that everyone would have come out. Like that's the power of his voice and of those hearing his voice. And what we're told here, uh, what we're told though in, in the book of Romans and elsewhere is that we are dead in our sins. We, we aren't people that are just like, like kind of fell out of a boat and we're like, hey, I need somebody to throw me life preserver so I can get to shore. Like we're actually described as being dead in our sins. The wages of our sin is death. And what Jesus is rescue for us is actually him jumping into the water and we are floating face down and he rescues us and brings us back to life. As he speaks to us, as he speaks our name, we hear his voice and we are alive and living. And we're, 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 we're seeing here that the Father has life 
in himself. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He is life. So Jesus is not just alive, he is life. He is the source of life. This is where life flows from. So to a people that think that they're pulling rank on Jesus and trying to silence him, Jesus says to them, I've been given all authority to execute judgment. Life itself flows from me because I am the son of man. I'm the son of man. And a lot of this is kind of dense in one sense. Like Jesus is saying stuff at kind of like Twitter concentration, you know, where it's like, hey, in a small amount of words, I'm going to say a bunch of things. And it's okay if you're not familiar with the Word of God at, at this place, because that's part of what, what we, we do living life together, is, is we get to, over time, lock arms together to know what has been known, made known to us. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing here, is we are knowing what's been made known to us. When we meet in community groups, we're, we're coming around the Word of God together, and we're able to have conversation, we're able to pray for each other, and we're able that what has been made known, that I would truly know it and be changed by it. And that happens in our personal devotion to Him as well. So one of the great joys, Lord willing, over the decades of us walking together is that we're going to grow in knowing what's been made known to us. So whenever the words, son of man, whenever you hear the words, son of man and authority or dominion in the same sentence, you have to think of Daniel chapter 7. Like there's just no way not to think of Daniel chapter 7. And the people on the ground, when they heard Jesus say, son of man, authority, son of man, dominion, it's like... Daniel chapter 7, I mean, he, should, he could have just said, Daniel chapter 7, drop, drop the mic. But he, said, he says authority, and then he says son of man. So here's Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And this was written hundreds of years before Jesus, talking about an event thousands of years after Jesus. Okay, so here's Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages, that all peoples, even central Iowans, all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is presented to the ancient of days, one like the son of man. The ancient of days gave him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion never ends. His kingdom cannot be destroyed. And what's the, especially the Pharisees, most people believe that the Pharisees, part of becoming a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders of that day, was you had to have the Old Testament memorized word for word. So like, they could 
fin- like I wouldn't have even had to read all. And I've been in rooms of like well-educated Jewish people where they'll say something like, I saw in the night visions, and then the whole room finishes the rest of the section. It's beautiful. It's powerful. I have a buddy that he was uh, in India. He grew up in India. And um, the Quran, you know, the Quran views God the Father as their God, but rejects the Son and rejects Jesus. And, and uh, my buddy was a Christian growing up in India, from India. And, uh, but the Quran, people, people uh, Muslim kids have to memorize the entire Quran word for word. And they said to my buddy, they were like, hey, if, you're, if you believe that that is the word of God and not what I believe is the word of God, then why is it that we memorize ours and you don't memorize yours? Why is it that you don't have the New Testament memorized, but I have the Quran memorized? And you, you say that that's the true words of God and not this. So my, he became friends with Patty and I, him and, I, and, him and his wife, uh, when he was in his 40s. But as like a, a middle school kid, he went home and memorized the entire New Testament because he wanted his friends to know these are the words of God and I view them as highly as you view the Quran. I actually believe I view them more highly as like the words of God. And I looked at his wife, I was like, he memorized, because someone had given, like there was a rumor going around campus that he had memorized like under those terms. And I was like, I looked at his wife, I was like, he memorized the New Testament just to, just to be able to show his friends. And, and she was like, well, he doesn't like to talk about it, but yeah, he really did, you know? And, uh, and it just blew my mind, you know? And so Jesus knows who he's talking to even on the ground. He's talking to people who have the Old Testament memorized and they're trying to kill him. And he's like, I'm the son of man who has been given dominion and authority. Like, I'm one of the greatest fulfillments of any chapter in the Old Testament and I'm standing in front of you. And I think a big point of all of us, all of us, is that we need to marvel. Like, the appropriate response of those people to these words of Jesus, saying truly, truly, three times, the appropriate response is you should have your breath taken away. You should fall on your face, and you should give your life to him, because he's here to save, not to condemn. We should marvel at his greatness. Like, one who is that great would be so far away, in my mind, that I would never have a chance to know him. But he's standing right in front of these people saying, I'm here. Like marvel at his greatness and then marvel at his gift that he is offering. People are trying to kill him and he is offering them eternal life. And man, it could be so easy to just be like, Jesus, if you could just leave me alone and just let me go the direction of my life. I did that for years where I was like, Jesus, uh, like you are the one that's ruining my life. This conviction of sin, if you just let me sin the way I want to sin, like, and just leave me alone, I would really have a nice existence here. Like, that's, that was basically me through second half of high school and into college, was, would you leave me alone? And man, I, like, I, I don't delight in saying that, but what I do delight in saying is, like, he loved me too much to leave me alone. And he kept pursuing me and saying, hey, how's that working for you? Is that making you happy? You feel alive? You feel free? And I was like, man, I feel like on a downward spiral hamster wheel. I used to think this made me happy, and now I can't break out of it. I can't be free of it. I need saving. <laughs> I need someone to save me. And his great gift 
that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And man, I just pray that that will grow even exponentially in us today of how we see him, how we view him, that we'll live a life of marveling at who he is, at what he does, at the kingdom that he's building, the kingdom that we are being called to be a part of, to shine to our community, like father, like son. Jesus judges us, we don't judge him. Our understanding of Jesus is, man, I just desire that it would grow. And verse 29 tells us that if we do good, we go to the resurrection of life. Verse 29, if we do good, we go to the resurrection of life. It takes a righteous person to achieve everlasting life. And that is why Jesus is standing here in Jerusalem on this day. And the, the fancy word here, the fancy theological word is imputed righteousness. So when Jesus is like, hey, you got to do good to be righteous. Well, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, I don't know if I am good enough. I don't know if I've done enough. And the, the freedom of imputed righteousness is that that is why Jesus is there, is living a perfect life in our place. He dies a death that pays the penalty of our penalty and all the rightness all of the rightness in the relationship between the Father and the Son, that rightness is imputed. It's placed in our account. So if God ever is like, hey, are you righteous enough to get to heaven? You'd be like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed, to say, but I'm not. But I've put my trust in Jesus, and his righteousness is mine. The life I now live, I live in him, and he has given me his righteous life in exchange for my unrighteous life that he took with him on the cross. And that's how we can say that, that we are saved, that we get his life, and we get his righteousness, and he takes our sin. And that's, man, how Amanda can, can proclaim that, like, hallelujah, <laughs> Christ is risen from the grave. That hallelujah is just the Hebrew word. It's, it's a command. Praise him. Praise him. Like that's what hallelujah means. Like praise him. These things are true. We must praise him for these things. And Lord, I just ask that you would increase in each of us today. For some of us, would you increasing in our lives mean that you have brought us to a point that we believe that you did all of this for us? That, that you are the son of man, that you are the fulfillment of Daniel 7, that you are the one who didn't come. You are the judge, but as judge, you're offering us eternal life. You're offering us salvation. And would you increase in our lives to the point where, where some walked into this room without having you as their savior, the center of their lives, and they're walking out of here free because for the first time they have fully given their life to you. We don't deserve it, but you deserve our lives. We don't deserve that, but you deserve our lives. So would we come home running? Would you break us? Would you free us? Would we marvel looking to you? For those of us who walked in here truly trusting you, Jesus as our Savior, Lord, would you increase in our lives? Would you increase? Um, would, would our thoughts of you increase? Would our marvel of you increase? Would the parts of our life where you have, you have full control on, where, 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 Lord, you can do anything you want in our lives and through our lives, would that increase as we get a, a bigger vision of who you are? Would you heal us? 
Would you make us whole? Would the beat of our heart be yours? We want the purpose of our lives here in this community to be you, to love you from here. You deserve the affections of rural central Iowa. We're yours, Lord. Would we marvel together at you and with you? Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So a, a powerful and a beautiful thing that Jesus gave us is communion. So this is completely his idea, is Jesus wants us to commune with him in even a tangible way. Like he said, he said, do this together as a church. Do this together in remembrance of me. I will do it with you when we're together again. The wedding feast of the Lamb, we will sit at the table with him. He will serve us. Today, when we come, we have wine and juice, so obey your conscience here, and we'll take this together. Um, there are warnings in Scripture for Christians. If Jesus is your Savior, there's warnings in Scripture not to just race to the table. This is actually an incredible time as we commune with Him, for Him to show us things, for Him to do work in our hearts, for, for Him to, uh, maybe there are things for Him to forgive us of or for, we, for us to, to take to Him. And so don't rush to the table. For those, if, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you, don't come to the table. No one will judge you for that. But what I would just ask for you is just, just do business with Him. Talk to Him. Maybe even ask Him, like, hey, is this all real? If it is, would you show me? He has a way to show you. And, and would, you, would you look to him? But for those of us, and, and what I would say is if you're like, yeah, there's, there's no reason I wouldn't give my life to Jesus right now. I'd say, well, give your life to Jesus. You don't have to do anything fancy. He did all the work for you. You can just respond and say, I'm giving my life to you right now. And then come, come to the table. Come and take communion. So, so the way it'll happen is, is spend some moments with Jesus, and then, and then let's come, take the elements together, and then we'll stay standing, and we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him.